Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. I am a religion recovery coach who helps people with life after religion. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, and I am super excited and thrilled to have on the show today, Julia Capizzi. She is an engagement journalist who is seeking to help represent the deconstruction community in the news and also to reach out and help the community. And she is here to talk about the work that she is doing. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been waiting a while for this. This is so exciting. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad yes, to be here. Yes, yes. Um, because I know we met, it was interesting because I remember I found out about you through Talk Purity to me account. She posted mm-hmm. some link to some like purity culture kind of like meeting that she's like, we're meeting with a journalist. And to me, whenever I see that there's a journalist that's involved with the deconstruction community, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like I definitely like I try to connect um, if I can, because I think we definitely need more journalists who are representing or accurately representing this community and fighting disinformation um, that happens a lot in news. And so the work that you do is very unique. And um, I know you call yourself an engagement journalist, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So could you explain what that means and what you're doing using that for the deconstruction community? Yeah, so engagement journalism is a little different from what we would think of as like traditional journalism or like traditional news, news gathering, Um, because engagement journalism is all about kind of, you still want to do reporting, right? You still want to write articles and put out content, put out information that people need, but you're kind of tailoring your approach to um, your coverage by communicating directly with the communities that you want to serve and that you want to cover. So rather than like seeing something happens in the deconstruction community, going, writing about it, interviewing people and like leaving and never talking to those people again after you put your article out. Um, Engagement journalism is kind of about making more organic connections and relationships with people in specific communities and making sure that your coverage and that the work that you're putting out into the world, the information that you're putting out is serves them as much as it's supposed to like be informative for the general public. So my goal as an engagement journalist for the deconstruction community really is to, first of all, um, have a relationship with the community that is collaborative. So I want to make sure that my work as a journalist is always in collaboration with the deconstruction community versus like just about them or on them or um, writing about a thing that they're doing, right? I want to make sure that... um, 
I'm working hand in hand with people in this community to understand what their information needs are. So as they're deconstructing, what is it that they feel um, they might not understand or what resources do they feel they're, they need that they aren't seeing readily available to them? Um, and then how is it that they want to be portrayed to the general public? What stories, what, how do, how do they feel like they're being not heard or not listened to? Um, and how can we like work together to make sure that we are, um, that they are being heard in the way that they feel they need and want to be heard. Um, so that's kind of a broad way to um, describe mm-hmm. engagement journalism, but I see myself as not so much like a reporter, but as someone who wants a collaborator with this community. Ooh, I yeah. love that so much. And that's what intrigued me about your role. Like, you know, before I got to know you, I just, you know, we all think of that cliche idea of a journalist and just someone trying to get the scoop and then move <laughs> on to the next thing, you know what yeah. I mean? And so, but then once I met you and, you know, you introduced yourself in that Zoom meeting and you're like, I'm an engagement journalist. I'm like, what? I'm like, I've never heard that before. This is interesting. And how you really wanted to uh, work with and collaborate with the deconstruction um, community. I'm like, oh, okay, I love this. Like it's, it's much more personal and like you're saying, organic and authentic. And I think that can definitely be, I think what can scare some people with working with journalists because there are, there are definitely journalists out there who are like really don't care about the people they just care about the story and then once mm-hmm. they get what they want they move on and don't really care but to see someone who's in the community um, and who really does care that's just um, so great and I'm just curious what inspired you to be a journalist yeah um I have had kind of a roundabout career path. Um, so I actually was a performer my entire life. So um, I grew up doing and singing and dancing and I got my bachelor's degree in musical theater um, from the Catholic University of America in 2017. And um, I spent a couple of years living in DC because that's where I went to college and I, you know, kind of, was doing the working actor thing, but when I, I, I've always been a writer and a storyteller. I have always had an interest in like putting my thoughts onto a page. Um, and so throughout college, I would, I was part of a couple like writing organizations. I also (laughs) did, I wrote some sketch comedy and performed on some sketch comedy teams and things like that. Um, and then after about three years after college, I kind of decided to leave performing like altogether. It just was not a healthy environment for me to be in anymore. It's a very hard um, career path. Um, not that journalism is necessarily any easier, but <laughs> then um, yeah. I, as the pandemic kind of hit and I was, I was working um, managing a fitness studio in DC. That was my full-time job. And I loved doing that. And I actually, um, yeah, I really loved doing that. And but then when the pandemic hit and I was at home and fortunate enough to still keep my job, but I was trying to kind of figure out like what my next steps were going to be. And I was living with my parents in Baltimore and um, I just kind of thought like, hey, I've always had this love for writing. I was spending a lot of time writing during that first stage of the pandemic when everybody was kind of at home, not sure like what was going on or what, you know, what we were supposed to do. And I was like, maybe instead of like going back to DC and doing kind of what I've been doing for the last three years, which was working in boutique fitness and kind of just like being around DC, like 
maybe I go back to school and kind of figure out like a new career path. And um, so, yeah, so I was inspired because, and I was see everything that was going on. I mean, really with the pandemic and with the way that people were taking in and understanding information about um, public health and about what we as individuals could have been doing to kind of protect ourselves and our communities. Um, I felt like a lot of that was really like muddied and it was hard for people to sift through the information that was going to be helpful for them and going to be effective um, in keeping them and their families and their communities safe. And so that's kind of where it clicked for me, where it was like, I love writing. And I also feel like I have the communication skills where I would want to build upon my existing communication skills to be able to help people get information that is going to serve them. And that's what inspired me to be a journalist. I'm not a public health journalist. So the, the pandemic was merely just mm-hmm. like a, yeah. oh, okay, like this is a problem. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what led me here. Oh, I can't hear you. I'm sorry. I just forget to unmute my mic. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> sorry. Um, so I'm just curious, what what specifically prompted you to cater to the deconstruction community? What did you see that was missing with news or relevancy around the deconstruction community? Yeah, I think that there's been a really big shift or kind of like just, yeah, like a shift in the in the United States in particular mm-hmm. um, over the last five or six years, really, I would say six years when Trump, you know, Trump was left in 2016, Mm -hmm. um, to kind of understand like the Christian or the evangelical Christian community. Right. So like there, and I don't consider myself, like I'm not specifically trying to help people who are deconstructing just from evangelical Christianity. Right. Like I would like to work with people who are coming from all religions, but, um, I think the focus on kind of that ex-evangelical movement that's been happening really like in mass since Trump was campaigning and was elected um, really kind of sparked my interest because we are starting to see for the first time almost in like plain sight the way that religious rhetoric is used in right-wing politics. And that's existed in the United States in our political spectrum for a really long time but with Trump Mm -hmm. it was yeah with Trump it was like so blatant you know it's like yes it was (laughs) exactly (laughs) so um that was like the first thing that sparked my interest in terms of like but I didn't I didn't necessarily realize there was like kind of a cohesive community surrounding Mm -hmm. you know leaving the church right um it was just a thing that was like he's co-opting all of this religious language. He's not living by, I mean, I grew up around churches and stuff. I understand like, you know, the teachings of Christ, like he's not living by all of that. Right. So then it's like, and these things he's saying are like blatantly hateful. And then, um, as the pandemic again was happening and everyone's on TikTok, I actually found the, a lot of deconstruction creators on TikTok. And I was like, wait, this is so interesting like there is a whole community of people that exists online talking just about their experiences and that was some of leaving the church and of deconstructing all of these harmful belief systems that they were raised in or that they have been living in for so long and I was like this is something that like no reporters are talking about this we talk about like the trends that are happening we talk about Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talk about like, oh, Pew Research Center found that X percent of millennials don't consider themselves religious anymore, but no one's talking specifically to the people who are leaving the church mm-hmm. and why. Yes. And 
and what they need as they're like leaving these systems that they've been a part of for their entire lives, because that's jarring to leave a community that you've known for a lifetime. Right. So it's like, Mm, yes. Yeah. It's like, there's a story there, but there's also people who do genuinely need support and need. Mm -hmm. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. Like a community. Right. And so I think that that's kind of, that's what made me interested is like just the way that this whole community has been existing online and kind of helping each other and just how much like deconstruction has kind of come to the forefront in the last couple of years. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I remember the meeting that we met in, you were specifically interviewing and asking and talking about specifically purity culture and is, is researching purity culture and how it's affected people negatively. Does, is that part of your research for your master's program? I'm assuming. Yeah. So um, I'm getting my master's in engagement journalism at the mm-hmm. Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism. Um, and that is kind of the crux of my, probably what will be my last semester of work. So I start my last semester in um, August or September. Oh, um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, my, focus is going to be deconstruction, but specifically purity culture deconstruction and working with um, the content creators that are on TikTok and Instagram who are kind of, who are putting out content about unlearning a lot of those harmful belief systems and the harmful um, education and the abuse that happens in a purity culture um, setting, right? And then also, I really want to be able to work with professionals, mental health professionals, people who are, you know, uh, religious trauma coaches, um, who are maybe wanting to reach clients or wanting to reach people who need their services. Because one thing that, um, I learned my first semester of graduate school this past September, when I was interviewing a couple of researchers and authors, um, on religious trauma and on purity culture, is that a lot of people who are deconstructing like have a hard time finding mental health resources and like sexual health resources and like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And like where um, kind of professionals that can work with them specifically. And so like, it's kind of twofold in that way, but um, yeah. So that will be, I think purity culture specifically is probably going to be my main focus, my last semester. And so I know this, probably so much you can say but like what yeah what is what are like common trends you're seeing as you've interviewed different people um about purity culture and like you know feel free to say as little as you want because i know you probably want to keep that private until you actually like publish your work and everything yeah, submitted for sure i um just some like overarching trends that i really want to explore and, and highlight i guess or I mean, honestly, explore for me as a journalist, like my whole mantra is like, I don't know everything. Like I'm approaching this, like I'm trying to learn from the people Mm -hmm. that I want to, from the community I want to collaborate with. Um, But some of the trends I've really noticed is like, first of all, and we discussed this in that first Zoom meeting that we had with a bunch of the um, purity culture content creators is that intersection between like white supremacy and Christian um, evangelical Christian or evangelical Christianity in the United States and kind of how um, evangelical Christianity is used as a tool for white supremacy and um, how they intersect. And so that's like one of my main things, because I think that 
so much of what we're seeing in the United States right now with our political system is being dominated by one or one religious group that is very Christian and <laughs> very evangelical. And um, I think that that just needs to be discussed more. We kind of tiptoe around that a lot in the mm-hmm. media. Yeah. And like, we're a country that is founded on the separation of church and state. And it should stay that way. Yes. I, yeah. Yes. Right. Uh, um, so that's that's one thing. Yeah. That people do bring up when I talk to them is like kind of that. Um, and it's not not even just from a political, just like from a systemic perspective. I mean, yeah. s- systemic um, inequality is a political thing, but um, it's like inherently political. But just kind of the way that Christ- evangelical Christianity as it exists in the United States does try to uphold a lot of systemic inequality and systemic oppression. Um, so that's one thing that comes up a lot. Um, and then of course there's like kind of smaller things. I mean, or not smaller, but just like a little more micro um, mm-hmm. topics, the whole idea of like how you find community when you leave your religious community because for a lot of people they were born into their religion as kids and mm-hmm, yeah. um that's kind of their whole life when they're growing up youth group they go maybe go to a religious school um their friends and family are in this sort of um in this religious community and so what is that like when you leave and everybody else that you've known throughout your life stays there so that's something that comes up and um yeah i mean and just like how I've had a couple people tell me, I want to know how to like raise my kids outside of <laughs> church. Like, how do I talk to my kids specifically purity culture? How, I mean, I'm not a parent, but like, how do you, how do you talk to when you are raised in purity culture and you are raised learning abstinence only sex education? How do you then educate your own children outside of those systems? How do you kind of unlearn all of the biases and the beliefs that you were raised with um to Mm -hmm. give your kids like to set them up for success and to set them up for a healthy relationship with their own sexuality so um those are kind of like the main three themes that come up yeah that's interesting because that since you were really digging a little bit into like different needs that different demographics of the deconstruct community like you know I never even you know I'm not a parent so that's not something I've really thought about personally so I'm like I can just imagine that now I'm like growing up in that and then leaving it and you're like how can I what do I tell my kids now like I'm still learning things <laughs> like what yeah. I don't know what I miss them I just oh that can I can't imagine being in that situation how hard and confusing um that that would be and it's it's interesting because I recently I've started back up to school again for my senior year back in June, yeah. which I'm super excited about. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I know thankfully 90 credits went through transferred from other schools. Yes. So I have one more year left. It's nice. Um, but it's interesting because um, there was one article for an assignment I was reading and it's talking about like enduring skills. And it was just talking about just being able to, um, um, relearn and unlearn things that's mm-hmm. such an important and I'm like it just to me like I automatically connected that to the deconstruction community in my mind because I'm like you know we're leaving this and we're having to unlearn a lot and to relearn a lot of different things yeah and like there's there are still things I need to 
dig into like I'm a bookworm like I'm constantly reading books like it's never enough so like they're different so like there are different topics that I really want to like dig into like get into decolonization and mm-hmm. understanding um, the root of colonization on a deeper level that it's had in America and in different countries across the world and you know truly understanding um, white supremacy um, in the evangelical church some some you know there are some churches that are like very very openly awful and racist sadly um but i think there are definitely like you know the system was originally like started on this racist foundation and it just kind of stayed that way and then it kind of became more covert but like it was still there but like no one addressed it or even wanted to dig deeper into how like certain practices or beliefs we're stars. So I think that is something that is so crucial to the deconstruction community is really like being open to learning and being curious, which I've, I've seen that a lot um, in the deconstruction um, community. And I think it's a great like mindset for anyone to have in general, just yeah. be like the world would be a much better place if we would all be open to learning and not feeling like being dogmatic. And then we have to be right about everything. And so, you know, you were talking a little bit um about how you know christianity has kind of seeped into our government and like at the beginning of this year i was trying to bring awareness to christian nationalism um mm-hmm. in america and how there's always been an agenda to infiltrate the government that could they wanted to start at the state level then you know work their way up to dc and it's like i was really um really shocked <laughs> when yeah. the Roe v. Wade draft was leaked and I was like oh we're here <laughs> like we are yeah. here <laughs> like no please don't <laughs> and you know and then of course it gets worse from there because you know I mean Roe v. Wade was overturned several weeks ago late June and now this religious agenda is being pushed to this court that a majority of Americans do not agree with at all and they've made it very obvious that like they're not going to stop and to me and i know it's it's, i've noticed this trend but um right now i think it's like women and the lgbtq plus community are really struggling with mental health uh, because rights are just being taken away and like i was doing some research of statistics and i was going on the trevor website that hotline uh, for lgbtq people and it said sorry they're like you might have to wait to talk on the phone we are being really overloaded with calls and i'm like oh my gosh like thank you supreme yeah. court like because all these mm-hmm. people are like are scared because their rights are just going to be stripped away like it just blows my mind how the supreme court clarence thomas really wants to make consensual sex between adults of the same sex illegal <laughs> I'm like, we're going way back. What? Like the yeah. <laughs> and oh my gosh. And like, the, like his problem with like birth control. I don't remember what other agenda he had. Um, obviously, like they wanted, they want to over get rid of same sex marriage. Um, so it's like all these decades of work towards equal rights yeah. are just sadly, like, I think everyone is trying to emotionally prepare for it. Thankfully, there are still a lot of people fighting and people are trying to speak up about it on um, the internet and different spaces. Um, but, you know, it's what this court is doing, like, it's very possible that a civil war is going to break out in America because as I'm seeing this, I'm like, uh, like, there's already yeah. been so many protests in so many cities 
um, across the United States and different issues. Like even in Greenville, like I was at a protest here in Greenville, the Women's March. And when I left, then an hour later, I see on Reddit that there's like a viral video of cops beating up or hurting people at a Greenville protest. I'm like, great. Like, this is not good. Uh, Yeah, I think like, it's definitely very scary. Yeah, for sure. I think that we are not at the point where we should be letting ourselves like fall into like catastrophizing or despairing. Yeah. It's uh-huh. so much to the point where like we don't want action. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's that's I know what you I mean. Gra- yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there are um, moments when like you get sad and you just sit there and it's like no, like do something with that energy put it outward and I feel like a lot of us that have been in these religious environments we've experienced the harm of internalizing things and not expressing them or getting them out yes so I feel like that's something people who are deconstructing or learning is just getting in touch with your emotions and your body and learning to express that and you know and for me I mean I have I, I thought about having like an emergency therapy session with yeah. my therapist so I was like I ended up not though because I just I ended up just journaling and like journaling for me is just incredible of just working through a bunch of thoughts and like it really like scientifically like it is proven to be super helpful um, mm-hmm. for processing different things um but once I actually like at first it was like very depressed for several days just for this extreme yeah. shock of just all that America is just going to go back to the 1800s or even earlier to 1600s. And I'm like, with the laws at least. And so I was like, oh my. And so I just started really trying to think rationally and not try to just focus on emotion, but think rationally. I'm like, okay, so if this happens, what will happen? And yes, it would be really terrible when these laws are passed and overturned. But again the majority of the american people don't agree so when all these rights are taken away there is still going to be support for these different communities now of course we'll still be vulnerable because of these laws to a lot of discrimination i think it will cause americans to i think have maybe a more collective mindset instead of maybe an us versus them i think that the people who really care will bond or band together to help and Really, I feel like, which will be a long time for now, but I think once Gen Z <laughs> finally gets <laughs> in the government, <laughs> finally. Yes. I think because, you know, Gen Z, we're so focused on equality. And the far right and the extreme Republicans have always hated that. And they're so yeah. scared of Gen Z. They're so scared of us. <laughs> they're like, no, they're like, we have to change everything before they make, have equality for everyone. No. Yeah. Um, but... I think there will there will definitely be a reaction and protest, and I think that will help bring about change. And I honestly think because of this, a lot more young people are going to go out and vote. I'm really curious to see in the fall how the like how that's going to change with the voting wise. Yeah. Um, and so, because I think you know there are obviously other things we can do, but I think a lot of young people don't vote, and I feel like once we actually get more people to vote and like even with the um last election with which of course you know there was more people were able to vote through ballots because of covid which is really nice because i did that too because yeah i had to to do an absentee ballot because i really need to like figure out how to register as a voter in south carolina since i'm really gonna live here now honestly i need (laughs) to take the time to do that because i'm like i need to vote in the fall like i need to be prepared for that um 
but what are some ways you think that we can do to help um, really in the right way fight against um, this a regression that's really happening in politics today and going back and rights being taken away. And maybe if you could talk between like the connection with Christianity and Christian nationalism and the government too, that's going on. Yeah. Um, I think like it's Christian, the way that you brought up like, um, oh my gosh, like colonial colonization. Right. Um, I think that Christianity, as I've said, like, evangelical Christianity is used as a tool for white supremacy for um, the United States or for people in the United States to be able to strip other people of their rights. Because in the United States, we're told we have this freedom of religion, right? Which people then take as, it becomes a very convenient excuse for people who are of certain religions evangelical Christianity to um, say, okay, well, I am against XYZ law because it goes against my religion. Even though not everybody in the United States believes my religion, even though not everybody in the United States follows my religion, or even though there are other religious denominations in the United States that are practicing their religions, they're American citizens or people who live in the U.S., um, who are practicing other religions and my beliefs are in direct contradiction with theirs, right? It almost becomes this tool of like, well, because it's against my religion, that's against my religious freedom and we need to overturn it. And so I think like, that's a lot of the rhetoric that we have been seeing from Christian nationalists in right-wing politics. Um, In terms of like Roe v. Wade, what I have come to learn over the last couple of years in my research is that Republicans or evangelical Christians did not really, they were not that concerned with abortion (laughs) up until like the 60s, 70s. I think, I mean, I could be wrong about my timeline here, but there was a very marked shift in like, I think around the late seventies where, um, Christian where Republicans realized that they needed to get the Christian evangelical vote because yeah. evangelicals weren't as politically active as other mm-hmm. groups in the United States. Yeah. And they had to get them rallying around a specific mm-hmm. cause and yeah. abortion. Yeah. And at first they tried to make it. It was I segregation, what, wasn't it? It was yeah. segregation was mm-hmm. their one, their cause. And then once they realized, Oh, like people are actually calling us out for being bigots. <laughs> we need to change from segregation to something else. So I think abortion was kind of the issue yeah. that they came for after that. And I think, yeah, you are, I think you are right about the general timeline because I kind of remember that from Jesus and John Wayne. It's such yeah. a good book. It really dates to evangelicalism and its history. Oh, yeah, I should read that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, sorry, go on. No, you you go. Go ahead. No, no, no. I know. I, I want you to go on. It's all good. Oh yeah. No. Um. And so I just think that. I mean, I keep saying like it's just becoming a tool, right? This whole idea of like, well, it's my religious freedom to say that we should overturn gay marriage, to say that we should overturn Roe v. Wade, um, has become very much like this rallying cry of a specific group of people in the United States. It becomes a very convenient excuse for. Republicans for right-wing Christian nationalists to strip people of their rights. Um, And so I think that's what we're seeing now. I mean, it's very 
shocking to see we knew this was going to happen like we knew roe v wade was going to be overturned i mean we kind of knew even as soon as trump was elected that it was going to happen Mm -hmm. um when he was appointing federal judge after federal judge just to the um you know to the state courts like Mm -hmm. that is has it's always been a risk it's always been something that um we've kind of could see happening in the future once he became president um when we saw when there was the whole i mean it was essentially a hostile takeover putting amy coney barrett into the supreme Uh, court after rbg died like Mm. we they have been clear about their intentions from the beginning Mm -hmm. and i think that in the united states we almost are like (laughs) there's always that like joke that like the democrats are like too polite or whatever (laughs) i am i don't know i'm not I I agree with that. However, I think that everyone was just a little too scared to say like, hey, I mean, not everyone, but a lot of the people in power, yeah. regular US citizens like you and me, people who are online, who are mm-hmm. outraged about Roe v. Wade being overturned, yeah. mm-hmm. people who are doing the work for deconstruction um, content creators, and even just people who are just like online and at protests and stuff. They mm-hmm. all have been saying for a long time, like, hey, you're using your religion, you're imposing your religion on me. I don't even believe it. Or I do believe it, but I don't think everybody else should be forced to believe what you believe, right? No one's really like saying that right now to like out loud or there's kind of starting to kind of say it. Um, But we haven't been saying it for a while. (laughs) And so, Mm. yeah. And so I think like at this point, we just have to start calling it out for what it is, right? Like, yes. That's like, to me, step number one, and maybe that's the journalist in me and like the communicator in me, but like, I feel like you have to just, you have to blatantly say what things are. Don't call someone a pro-life activist, call them anti-choice, anti-abortion, right? Because we see what happens when abortion is not available to the two people who need it, right? Like it Mm -hmm. becomes dangerous. It becomes life or death for the person carrying a fetus that they don't want to carry or that they it's unsafe for them to carry. So like call them, call the person who is anti-choice, anti-choice. Don't call them pro-life, right? Like Mm -hmm. call someone out for being a religious extremist. If what they're trying to do is enforce their religion on an Mm -hmm. entire population of people that doesn't all believe the same thing that they do. So I Mm -hmm. think that that's like number one. I just, I'm, (laughs) I know that as journalists, like we have like the AP, style we have to follow and accept like we have editorial standards we have to follow but a lot of the editorial standards that are in place are were put in place by straight white men who are in positions of power and I think like in the United States right now everyone's kind of has been realizing for a while that what has always been the status quo is not equitable for most people and so like that's number one is like calling everything out for what it is and then like Number two, I think, is just, like, keeping up the fight. I mean, I'm not Mm -hmm. at all, like, an expert on activism. I'm very new to journalism itself. But, like, just understanding the tools that are at your disposal Mm -hmm. and the communities that you have. I mean, that's a big reason why I want to be an engagement journalist is it's all about fostering community. And I don't think that we can get through this current political moment and this, like, scary moment in the United States without tapping into the communities around us. like. Mm -hmm. The American individualism that we've always been told has been what's going to like help us all achieve the American dream. We have learned, I mean, really the pandemic was like 
the learning point for me was that like, mm. that doesn't work. Like no. being in, yes, being individualistic about your life mm-hmm. and your choices does not yeah. work. <laughs> so yeah. And, mm-hmm. yeah go ahead. and like from a sociological perspective, I mean, I had to think about like, you know, people need people. We're social animals. Um, yeah. And as I've been learning in school and applied social science classes, learning about how there are communities who are technically um, very poor, but they're able to leave or live a, a healthy, good life because they have a more collective mindset and they share each other's resources and work and help one another. And like, it's interesting to learn about different cultures because there are some cultures where it's socially acceptable for people in the community to discipline your children, which that's a whole other thing, which is an interesting to learn about the different mm-hmm. approaches that people take and then kind of looking at different cultures and then comparing it to our culture in America and like, okay, what's our mindset and like understanding um, with how, you know, how looking how Europe reacted to the um, pandemic and to how the United States reacted to the pandemic. Right. And seeing how basically people are like, no, he's like my, my freedom in quotes or whatever to do whatever I want. No, I, what I, what I want to do is more important than anyone's health or anyone else's well-being whatsoever. That's what really a lot of people um, communicated when they wouldn't really obey um, the government's orders because, you know, it's just, of course, the extremist right turn it into this whole conspiracy thing, how the government is trying to really slowly get us used to like, I don't know, control us or something. But it's just so interesting. The people who say this have been put under control by Donald Trump, but that's a whole other episode. <laughs> it's a whole other thing. Yeah, well, and that's the thing too with purity culture is purity culture is about control, right? Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. it's so ironic of these a lot of people who, mm-hmm. you know, the Venn diagram of a lot of people who believe that they shouldn't have to mm-hmm. wear a mask because it goes against yeah. their bodily autonomy and people who wanted Roe v. Wade <laughs> to be overturned is yes. like almost a circle, right? I don't yeah, know. It I'm, is. Yeah. I'm conspired. I'm, you know, theorizing here. But, the cognitive dissonance. Um, yes. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of like these people are saying the government is trying to control me because they want me to get this vaccine. I'm like, but you've literally been living under a system of control in your church that you go to every Sunday in the place where you're sending your kids to Sunday school, where they're being taught that their bodily autonomy doesn't exist and that their body is not theirs, but it belongs to God in the church. Right. Like it's like, look, just start, start with yourself. Start with like the community that you're in. See that like your bodily autonomy is not, you've been taught that it's not yours to begin with. Right. Which I guess like Mm -hmm. there was a really interesting TikTok, and I don't want to miss quote it but it was something along the lines of like someone was like I'm curious as to how many Christian women who are taught that their like body isn't their own or um are the ones who are like pushing back against mask mandates because this is like the one time that they can exercise what they their bodily autonomy Mm -hmm. and like that's kind of interesting to me um just that I mean again I can't even remember the creator it was like two years ago but I just that's always stuck with me as like I think we're just fighting for bodily, bodily autonomy in the wrong places, guys. Like, <laughs> I think like, you know, because your choice not to wear a mask can affect a lot of people versus like yes. someone's choice to have an abortion affects only them or, you know, a small mm-hmm. network of people possibly. But like, yeah. yeah, it's not like, 
terminating a pregnancy and spreading an airborne virus are two very different things mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. they have very different consequences almost definitely and i think yeah. the issue too is that in these religious environments just there's so much black and white thinking and like us versus them yeah and so i think it was really easy for trump QAnon, all these people um to trick them into really pushing their agenda because um, I recently watched a documentary on QAnon, just curious of how it started. And it just has that very foundational um, belief of like, you know, everyone outside of our group or people in the government, um, the Democrats, like they're evil, they're satanic worshippers. Just it really, really bought in to what had already been ingrained into so many religious people um, for so long. And, but it was just on a different, more spiritual level or spiritual plane, how, you know, we're in spiritual warfare all the time. The devil is after us. And, you know, and even in our churches, especially in my church and fundamentalism, um, how they would talk about, you know, people who were non-believers uh, were being used by Satan. And it's just, I think that kind of belief system makes people feel superior. Like I'm right. They're wrong. Um, I'm good. They're evil. So it causes this like superiority complex type thing yeah i think in a way yeah. and like, there are so many psychological things but to it but that's one of the things i've really noticed i'm like huh i'm like it just has this feeling and then it gives people a purpose too right. i feel like a sense of like seeking what's right or what they think is right at least right yeah and it's like it's hard to argue i mean i can argue with someone about this but it's hard to argue with someone when they're like oh, well, God, I'm sent by God to do X, Y, Z. You know, I'm sent by God to whatever, not wear a mask, right? Like God tells me I don't have to wear a mask. It's like, <laughs> how how do you, how, if you're just a normal person or just like, it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, you can tell the person that they're wrong. That's not true. But that person has been told from how, whenever they were however many years young, or I mean, I'm just, talking a lot about people who are raised in faith, but there are people who convert too, but they've been taught that like, this is the right way, right? That God is speaking to us through this thing. He's always right. He wants us to do these things. And it becomes a very, again, convenient tool for people who are in power and people in power aren't just politicians. They're also church leaders. They're youth group leaders. They're people who run religious schools. Like it becomes very convenient for them to be like, well, God is saying that we have to do this, you know? (laughs) So, um, yeah. So, and again, I, I agree with you too on the, um, it gives people a sense of purpose. I think like there, Mm -hmm. a lot of the time when people find themselves in these very dogmatic communities, it's because they are already looking for some sort of sense of like something Mm -hmm. bigger than themselves. Um, but we, we can have that. We can have that right among our people and our fellow citizens who are all struggling Mm -hmm. and we can have that sense of something bigger than ourselves and not have it be tied to religion or be tied Mm -hmm. to this idea of God. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's mutual aid. It's being in community with your neighbors. It's learning how to listen and talk to people and, and elevating, um, or not even elevating, just making space for people to be able to like speak or, you Mm -hmm. know, Yeah. yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, and so I guess I'm just curious to like, what is, what are your current plans for your career as you're helping 
um, the deconstruction community because um, like, I guess more specifically, like how do you want to publish your content, I guess, through what kind of way? Yeah, I'm still kind of figuring that out. Um, I do have a TikTok, but it does not, it's very silly right now. It's actually not at all um, about deconstruct. I'm like new to being on TikTok. I mean, I've been mm-hmm. on TikTok for two years, so I'm new to like actually having things on my profile, I guess making videos. I don't know. Um, yeah. So um, eventually I would love though to, I know a lot of the community is on TikTok and Instagram. So I would eventually love to kind of find myself in both of those spaces. Um, mm-hmm. I did do a little bit of work earlier this past, well, this past spring. Um, I did that like Instagram live would talk purity to me and I was circulating that form because I was trying to get to mm-hmm. know the community. So I was circulating yeah. my survey. That's how um, we found each other. Yes. Um, so I guess like first step right now is I'm still accepting answers on that survey. So people like are interested in kind of reaching me, that's a great way to do that. Um, but I do eventually want, it's going to depend on what happens when the semester starts. And, mm-hmm. um, as I'm working toward like my final practicum for my master's program, but I'm planning on starting some sort of newsletter, um, yes. that, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's going to have a social media component to it. So that'll probably be like an Instagram and a TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, I was ambitious and wanting to have a good bit of content on that this summer. It is mm-hmm. not <laughs> transpired because there has been just so much, so much going yeah, on. Um, yeah. But I think that's going to be part of my coursework anyway for the fall. So like, I'm, Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm probably going to be on like Substack, TikTok and Instagram. And then, um, but step one is just getting in touch with people. So, mm-hmm. um, I can send you that link to that survey again, but oh yes, I would feel put free that to in circulate the show it. Notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like anyone who wants to reach, um, Julia, I'll put that survey and also I'll link your TikTok and your Instagram too so people can reach you. <laughs> yeah, people can be fair. My TikTok right now is just like Taylor Swift lip syncing videos, Ooh. but <laughs> <laughs> it will eventually have things. Um, I just, yeah, um, it's okay. it's my personality right now, I guess. Eventually got it you. will have <laughs> more targeted content, but yeah, I, know, um, I got you. Like yeah. I've definitely, I've experimented a lot with TikTok and like I've done, I try to do, at least on TikTok, I try to combine the deconstruction topics and things that are relatable and funny. And for yeah. me, just curious, just playing with the algorithm and seeing what's what fits. Um, yeah. But then I'm like, no, like there's this um, lady on TikTok, she's on Instagram. I think her, her name is like Tia Levings or something okay. like that. But um, she's been, she specifically grew up or was in the the quiverful movement. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So she really talks a lot about her experiences in that, in which I've told my story a lot, but I'm like, I guess, I don't know, for, for I guess from the perspective of always growing up in that environment, there are some things you don't think about that people would find interesting. You know what yeah. I mean? And as yeah. I watch their videos, I'm like, oh, I'm like, there's so many different topics I can talk about, but like, I never thought that anyone would care. I just didn't think about it um, because, you know, we're still going through that deconstruction. <laughs> and like, for me, right. I, I've been journaling and figuring out, okay, like what, what are things I've actually constructed? Like, what did I used to believe and what don't I believe now? And like, as I've been doing that, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I can't, like, I feel like it's good that there are parts of us that we forget, <laughs> wow. honestly. So I'm like- That's very quotable. <laughs> for a reason, I'm like, oh, this is, but it, I think it's good though to go back and still work through those things. Cause I think 
as I've learned in therapy, things do get repressed. And if you don't deal with mm-hmm. that, it's going to eat your mental health. So there are things we have to get out of our unconscious and deal with those. Um, but also, I'm just curious, what other ways are you planning on helping the deconstruction community? So I know like through the research that you're doing and you want to get online. And I think you're, yeah, that newsletter. And I think you're going to call it what, Unpure or something like that? Yeah, that's going to be called Un. Yes, Unpure. Unpure. And okay. um, yeah, and part of it, like what I kind of envision, I want a big part of it to really be like profiles or interviews with people in the deconstruction community. So content oh, yeah. creators, mm-hmm. yes, so like you, Andrew. Yes, <laughs> or, I would love to. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I want I want the focus of it to be the community members themselves versus like, mm-hmm. here's my thoughts on XYZ. I mean, I am um, going to uh-huh. have part of it be a sort of like op-ed or um informative, you know, explainer article type things. But then I also, I mean, I want the focus to be on community members and understanding mm-hmm. yeah. what it is that they have questions about people's own personal stories, if they want to share those with me, because I think that the more we can highlight people's personal experiences, the more people, the more the general public is going to understand this community mm-hmm. and, and want yeah. to just help them, I guess. Um, and then I also envision it as like, I also want to work or interview with experts on topics mm -hmm. that the deconstruction community is facing. So someone Mm -hmm. who does maybe a therapist or mental health counselor who works Mm -hmm. with people who have trauma from purity culture and religious trauma. Um, Mm -hmm. What maybe, and I know that there are like religious trauma coaches out there. So kind of talking to them and and writing you know do, interviewing them for this newsletter or for my tiktok and stuff um my future tiktok um so yeah. <laughs> yeah those are some ways but honestly like those are the things that i can think of as a journalist but i also know that i'm limited to like my personal experience my personal mm-hmm. preferences yeah. and the way that i take in information so all that's to say for i really want community members to tell me and to help me understand what it is that they need. So mm-hmm. that's why that survey is really helpful because I can go through and read and be like, okay, this person says they want me to highlight how like one I was getting a lot of um another thing is like purity culture doesn't just affect women. It affects people of all genders. So like that would be something great to also kind oh, of yeah. share. Mm-hmm. Right. So um the way I want to help the community really is for me to be able to be in contact with them and understand specifically Mm -hmm. what it is that they need um, and just kind of go from there. So I know that's like kind of a broad thing, but it's important that I'm Mm -hmm. tailoring my approach to the community itself versus like Mm -hmm. parachuting in, writing a thing and then leaving. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I know what you mean most definitely. And I think, you know, because there's even people outside of journalism, really, like a lot of these cringy Christian shite or sites trying to give their take on deconstruction yeah. out, without even really trying to understand there's so much misinformation. And really, I think a lot of them, I think a lot of them, they think they're doing the right thing in quotes. Um, and really, what they're doing says more about them than the actual deconstruction community because it's just, it shows them how insecure. Yeah and scared they are and how threatened they feel by this. So they just immediately jump to defense and yeah. don't understand. And a lot of them are too scared to understand because 
no one likes to experience cognitive dissonance, but especially evangelicals and fundamentalists really don't like that about anyone else at all. I mean, and it's also like, because you believe, like they believe that it's been mandated into them by a higher power to believe they believe. So yeah. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's lots of ways that I want to help people. I want to make sure that like the content I'm putting out is tailored to my audience. So I want like, I want people to, I want people to serve the information needs and the learning styles of the community. So if people say they learn a specific way or that it's helpful for them to communicate in a specific way or on a specific platform, I want to be there. Like I want to be there and be communicating and working with them. You know, if someone's like, oh, I only want to be on Reddit. Okay, fine. We can communicate anonymously on Reddit Mm -hmm. in some way. Um, that's just the first, I don't know why that came to mind, but yeah. So if someone's like, I only want to be on Twitter spaces. Okay. (laughs) Then yeah, we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll figure out like how to make that work because I think that it doesn't mean anything. I have a professor who's always used to say to us, um, like what you make doesn't mean anything if you don't know how to put it out into the world. And I think Mm -hmm. that like, as an engagement journalist, that goes even farther to say, it doesn't mean anything if you don't know where to find your community. Um, and if you're not meeting your community where they're at, mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah, that's so true. Um, I thank you so much, Julia, for coming on the show. I really enjoyed <laughs> this. And like, is there yeah. anything else you would like to say um, before we end the interview? Um, I guess like everyone in this community, every deconstruction in the deconstruction space, content creators and people who are just you know who are deconstructing your audience, like everyone's very brave and it takes a lot of strength to to walk away from something because it's not right for you anymore. And so, um, like just props to everybody who continues to do the hard work of deconstructing because that, um, I can imagine is very difficult and it takes a lot of strength, especially when you feel like you are alone, but you're not alone because you have a whole community of people who are experiencing something similar. Um, and like, don't lose hope everyone. Like we are, we have each other. We have a wide reaching community. I mean, the majority of Americans are not happy with what's going on in the U S right now. And so like, we can be really strong and really powerful. Um, if we all like come together to help each other. So yeah. Thank you for having me. This is Of course. Yeah. I love that positive message because I know a lot of things have been so discouraging (laughs) at least. So I think looking at that silver lining, um, of how much community we can find, um, together, and, you know, to anyone listening, I'll put the links um, to her social media and her survey. And please, please, please take her survey to help her with her research and help her realize how she can best um, serve all of you in the community. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah. This was Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon. And the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.